Let's turn together to Luke chapter 12 as we continue our uh, fall teaching series, both in here and in community groups. We've been looking at, as I said earlier, at God's uh, recognition of this human pattern that we see first in Israel and now we can see in our own lives of um, what really boils down to idolatry. That's that's really what it is. Idolatry is when you um, you find an idol, you find a created thing, and you look to that created thing uh, for something that uh, you were actually created to get from God. And so, in the ancient Near East, uh, they would they would uh, the nations around them would worship the sun or the moon or the mountains or the river. Uh, there were fertility gods and gods for crops and different, you know, agricultural things. And so Israel kept stumbling into that. They kept saying, well, we want, we want good crops. And so let's pray to this, this, you know, false deity of sorts. And, uh, so God sent them a messenger to say, Hey, you're, you might not even know you're doing this, but you're forsaking me, the creator, and you're turning to these created things to try to get something. I mean, well, the whole time, I, I, the, the way I set everything up is for you to get that from me. And so he points out this pattern to them. And uh, we can also like see ourselves in that as well. Our idolatry here in America just looks different. But we still can fall in that trap of looking to things that are created instead of the creator. And so that's been what we've been doing for the last couple of weeks. And so we've looked at uh, the search for belonging and our tendency to turn to people. Uh, our search for guidance and our tendency to turn to worldly wisdom, our search for approval, which is really a search for love, and how we turn to performance and comparison. Um, last week, our search for relief from life's pressures and our tendency to turn to just control of any, anything we can control to bring that relief. Um, and so this morning, I want to talk about our search for, um, for security and when I say that, I realize that that can mean a lot of things, you know. Um, you'll often hear me reference the fact that we are all insecure. But I'm not talking about emotional security. I'm talking about maybe there's something that's more practical. Uh, more in the in the the realm of like first world comforts. Um, not just uh, like air conditioning and a, a really soft mattress, you know, those kinds of things. Although those things are nice. Um, I'm talking about like the, the deeper first world comforts that we uh, have offered to us based uh, a lot on where we live in the world. Um, talking about the, the kind of like assurance about the future and being able to like remain comfortable no matter what happens in this kind of unknown uh, like darkness that is, you know, tomorrow or next year, or 10 years, or maybe even the world that we're handing over to our kids and grandkids. You know, it's, it's, it's that I want that assurance, I want that peace of mind of knowing that everything's going to be okay. Uh, and so uh, we kind of adapt to where we uh, seek, we kind of like try to live very low risk lives uh, from our perspective so that we can kind of build in some of these guarantees that maybe maybe we won't have to have pain or suffering, um, but maybe we won't even have to be like uncomfortable or go without you know those those different kinds of things. And 
And a lot of this is just driven by the fact that the future is full of unknowns, and that makes us a little bit afraid. Um, It's a very normal thing to fear the future. Uh, And when I say normal, I mean like common. Uh, Part of that is because we live at the mercy of a 24-hour news cycle and at the mercy of news networks that are making a lot of money by keeping us afraid of one another and afraid of, uh, you know, whatever it may be. And so you maybe, uh, I don't know if you became a news junkie through COVID, through the stay-at-home thing, but I... I used to never really watch the news a whole like a whole lot, like a little bit. But it seems like whenever they started being like, you need to stay at home and things are about to get really crazy and all that. Like I just had like a super heavy dose of mass media. And that co- sort of stuck stuck with me. And uh, it was just very interesting how like before the election, one network was being like, everything is just a dumpster fire and everything is awful. And the other network was like, things could never be better than this. And then after the election, they just like traded narratives. You know, they just handed off scripts to the other one because now it's the exact opposite. You know, the other, this network is saying things have never been better. What a great, you know, thing. And the other one's dumpster fire, right? So, and that's being fed to us all the time in our news cycles, through mass media, through advertisements. A lot of fear of like, hey, you don't know what's coming, so you better be ready. Um, and if you're not afraid, we're going we're gonna to make you afraid because there's money in fear. And so uh, those things all working together um, kind of leave us being like, well, I need to do something, right? So uh, we kind of know how the world works. So we do what we can to, once again, take control of the situation and try to secure anything that will keep us comfortable and have to have that peace of mind as we look down the road. Uh, and it's probably best illustrated by some of that specific, like, broken cisterns, right? Like, that's God's metaphor that he uses with Jeremiah. And he says, you're, these idols that you're turning to, these man-made solutions, it's, it's like digging a cesspool to collect water in uh, while you're sitting right next to a fountain or a spring or a river of living water. Um, trying to help them see the, the ridiculousness of that. Um, mainly, though, trying to see the, the beauty and the glory of what God is offering. Um, and so... It, this whole point is probably better illustrated through talking about the specific cisterns, but I want to say this, and you'll probably hear me say this a lot because I feel like this one is really important to repeat this. Um, everything I'm about to list as a broken cistern, like there's a healthy way to relate to all of these things. And so just because me saying it's a broken cistern is not saying that, that these different things in and of themselves are broken. It's our relationship to them that's broken. So there is a heavenly wisdom, godly, holy way to relate to all these things. Um, But it's also possible that we look to these as idols, as sources of security for us in the face of fear of the unknown. And so even in me just talking about this, the most obvious one is going to be money. that's, That's the most obvious thing that we can turn to to make us feel secure um, and it could be like having money. It could also be not having money. You know, that having a savings account that's like loaded could make you feel really secure. And some of you are like, "That sounds great." I don't know what that would feel like, but uh, that would sounds like it would be fantastic. But just the idea of having a ton of money in savings just naturally makes you relax a little bit, doesn't it? 
Um, the other side of that is is like times when you have to like empty your savings account to pay for new tires or you know something like that's like oh well you gotta have it you know and then when that number gets low gets depleted and you just feel it just feels terrible you know um times where you go maybe through seasons of, of unemployment or you know whatever it may be and so that that savings account that bank account that can be a source of security for us in our world um not only that, but in that same idea of money, it could be things like retirement accounts or investments or uh, Bitcoin or any of your other like crypto whatevers that you smart people know what it is. I don't. I just know it's like a thing. Um, it could even come down to debt. It could come down to um, you see these commercials about like about being like, hey, you better start buying gold bars. You know, and I should I be buying gold bars? Should I know that? Like, like yep, yeah, you need to. And you should bury it in your backyard. You should have a hole in your backyard where you are burying your gold bars. You should know the weight of the money that you have, as Ron Swanson would say. And so, like, there's really no, like, there's just no end to this. Even, even just the economy alone. Hearing economic reports, depending on who your source is, can make your security rise or fall, you know. And so, the financial world, um, like I said, healthy, heavenly wisdom way to relate to it, but also has the potential to become a source of security for us where we're looking to money uh, to play a role that it's not supposed to play. Um, it's part, partially why Jesus cautioned us, you know. Jesus, like, personified money. He, he described it as, as essentially being like an entity, like it has a life of its own. Um, it doesn't have to be a life that overtakes us, but it it has there's something about it where we have to be really really careful and and have heavenly wisdom when it comes to it otherwise it becomes a broken cistern that we're looking to to make us feel secure but beyond money though there are other things possessions can do the same thing um, anything that you that you possess in your life it could be could be like where you live um, could be a source of security or 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 insecurity you know um, and I, when I say where you live, that could be like where you live on the map. Uh, could be what kind of structure you actually dwell in, that, that kind of thing. Um, sometimes you can uh, you can feel really secure about uh, maybe like living in a gated community might make you feel really secure. Uh, except when all the gates don't work, right? All the LSU students are like, yes, exactly. Um, mom and dad feel great putting their college kids in an apartment that is gated. They do not know that the gates are always broken uh, and people are always smashing into them and that kind of stuff. They don't, they don't know that part of it. But it makes mom and dad feel good because they're behind, the, they're behind the gates so they must be safe and secure. We all know better than that, right? It could be possessions about what you drive. It could be possessions about some of the just the like fun toys that you have in life that could make you feel successful. But the, there are these security things about the future of like, well... Even if the economy tanks, at least I have my house. At least I have my car. At least I have, you know, whatever it might be. At least I live in a place that makes me feel a certain way. Um, relationships could also be in, in here. Um, where, like, perhaps perhaps it could be, like, your spouse brings about a sense of security. Um, or just the fact that you're married. Maybe not the person that you're married to, but the fact that you're married just makes you relax a little bit. Could also be that maybe you're not married and maybe that makes you... Maybe that makes you feel uncertain about the future and nervous about the future because of that. Like relationships, um, 
friendships, those kinds of things, we can look to those to give us that assurance about the future. We could put an unhealthy amount of emphasis on that very easily. Um, another one that was made, made my list uh, is like being an American. Like the, the kind of thing where we are the, like depending on, on you know, how you look at the world, uh, let's say that we are a global superpower, right? The fact that like we, we're the U.S. of A., you know, we have the greatest military on the face of the earth, which, I mean, absolutely. We just celebrated Veterans Day. There's, there's no doubt that like, the life that we were able to live here came at great sacrifice. So that's not lost on us. But it, it can become a healthy thing. Like there's like a healthy like patriotism, you know. And then there's like these like weird forms of nationalism that have crept their way into the church, especially where there are people that when they speak of America, it is as though they are speaking of the church, you know. That we're we're here to accomplish certain things on the planet because we're America, instead of like the gospel of Jesus Christ is like He's the way, the truth, the life, that kind of thing. And so, being an American can really kind of get it can become something it's not supposed to be. It can make us feel uh, of like, well, it doesn't matter what happens around the world because we're America, you know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's happening in countries where people are fleeing because of. Persecution and death and war and all this kind of stuff because we're here, we're safe, we're in, we're good. It changes how you view things uh, like immigration and uh, war at all, you know, and and so many of those kinds of, of issues that that being an American, there's a healthy way to be an American Christian, and then there's unhealthy ways to relate to our country. Uh, Part of why 9-11 was so scary for those of us who remember going through that. As you're like, wait a minute, I thought no one could get to us. You know, like, they just got to us. I come from the Red Dawn generation, you know. You guys remember Red Dawn? Not the, not the new one, the, uh, the real one. The real Red Dawn. Avenge me, boys, that one. Uh Remember watching Red Dawn, Red Dawn, and thinking, "There's no way that Russia is gonna like airdrop into America and like start this war from within." And then we all sat there and watched the towers come down, and you're like, "Man, it changed things. That sense of security was threatened, and we didn't like it very much." Another thing that's on my list is just a low risk lifestyle. Makes you feel secure to know that you're not really putting yourself out there too much. There are times when God calls us to be obedient about something that feels like it is threatening that peace of mind and that assurance. That's just a list, you know, it's not exhaustive. But hopefully it illustrates, like, yeah, we, we don't know what's ahead. And so there are things that we can look to to find assurance that everything's going to be all right. If you put all that stuff together and if you're like, well, I don't take a lot of risks. Um, I I have a lot in the bank. I have a lot in uh, retirement accounts. I'm married. I live in a safe neighborhood. I live in a nice house. Um, yeah, I've checked all the boxes. I think I'm gonna I think the future doesn't really scare me that much. 
Not, not, not the like Jesus returns and makes all things new and beyond. Not, not that future on the timeline. The like the, from here to that point timeline scares you less when all those boxes are checked. And if those the less boxes that are checked, the more fear there is, right? Like if you don't have a lot of money in the bank and you don't have uh, like certain things, let's say, it makes you a little more nervous. And so. A lot of what we've been taught in the world around us is you need to start getting those boxes checked and doing whatever you can because you don't know what's ahead. And this is the, this is the way to have peace of mind. Lay your head on the pillow at night and know things are going to be all right. Um, so once again, I'm, I bring to you this truth that you can relate in a heavenly, godly wisdom way to every one of those things. So please do not walk out and think I'm saying retirement accounts are bad, planning for the future is bad, being wise with your money, uh, that, that a spouse is bad, that USA is bad. None of that, none of that stuff I'm saying. What I am saying is that it is possible for us to relate to all those things in unhealthy ways where we're looking to them to get something that God created us to get from Him. That's the point of the series. And so we have all that stuff going on. And because we live in fear, sometimes we're trying to build these like fail safes, right? These backup plans. And that's what has, has had me wondering, like, how do, you, how do you know when you're relating to any of these things in an unhealthy way versus a healthy way? And the main way to know is that you ask God and he tells you. That's the easiest way. Another way to know that's further down the list, but... Uh, is what when when one of these things is threatened, how do you handle it? You know, like when when the economy takes a dip, or you know the stock market does something weird, or um, I don't know, gas prices maybe go up, <laughs> maybe the supply chain, whatever that is, is like being threatened, and you're like, what if Christmas is different than I thought it would be? You know, like. Like what, what happens when, like, let's say that you like have an investment account and you pull up the app to see what it is and you're like, man, I lost a lot of money today. You know, does that, does it just like, you know, make you mad or bother you or whatever in a, in a healthy way or does it like scare you? You know, cause it seems like I hear more and more people saying, I just don't know what this world is coming to. If this keeps happening, then I don't know what this means. This election cycle, this political party, this, 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 this. These security things, whenever whenever they're threatened, what does it do to you? If your candidate loses an election, what does it do to you? If your political party... Uh, gains power or loses power, what does it do to you? Does your security go up or down based on these different kinds of factors? You know, That indicates a healthy or unhealthy relationship. Is what, How do you react when something is threatened? And so we need the Lord to tell us and to show us and to lead us into healthy ways because all of these things are supposed to play a role in our lives. Finances, government, relationships, possessions, um, 
even the, even the like the role of obedience as it ties to personal risk. All of those things are supposed to play a role in our lives. And Jesus knows exactly what it's supposed to look like. And I believe wholeheartedly that uh, among us, there's probably a mixture of healthy relationships to those things and unhealthy relationships to those things. It's part of the beauty of each of us having a personal relationship with the Lord is that he can tend to each of us individually as we need it. My role is to just like, hey, let's let's lay this on the table and see what God wants to say. Um, and I found myself wondering, is is this this particular like search, the search for security, is this one of the times where it's not that we're forsaking God, it's that we're trying to have both. Like he tells Israel, he says, You have forsaken me. And that word is tied to like adultery. Like, you have turned your back on me, and you've given yourself to another. Um, I don't know that this is necessarily the case. I don't think that's the dangerous thing, where you're saying, I want nothing to do with God, and I just want my big pot of money. You know, It's probably more along the lines of, I'm going to sit here next to the river, and I'm going to dig this cistern, um, because I'm terrified that the river's going to run dry on me. Or that the river's going to do something I don't like. Or that the river's going to turn, which rivers do, and water someone else's land more than mine. Or just chase the metaphor all you want. In other words, what if God fails me? What if God does something I don't like with the economy, with who's in control politically, with global power and war? What what if what if God what if God holds out on me? Or he isn't who I thought he was, or he does something I disagree with. I want to make sure I have something to fall back on. Now to some that sounds like wisdom, but in a relationship with God, that's not that's not heavenly wisdom. That's worldly wisdom. That's saying you need a backup plan. That stuff can be a backup plan to the Lord. And that's not how he created things to go. And so what does God say to his sons and daughters who look at the future and see a lot of unknown that makes us all nervous? And we look at what's happening in the world around us and it makes us a little more nervous. And we read a Bible that says, hey, it's going to get worse before it gets better. It makes us seem more nervous. And we want to be good stewards of what he's entrusted to us, but we don't want to worship it. Um, like, how, how, What does he have to say to all of that? You know, What words would he speak to us? Um, well, we have some. And... If you are familiar with this passage and you feel like maybe I've heard that one before, maybe listen to it with all of that in in mind as I read it. So look at Luke 12, 22, where we'll start. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. 
For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. Your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom. These things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There's so much preaching to be done from that passage. And don't worry, I'm not going to do it all. (laughs) But what a what a word to the anxious, nervous, worried about the future children of God. For him to say, hey, you know you're important to him, right? He's going to take care of you. Like, he, he will. He is. And that's, that's what he does. It's like he's saying... You've been focused on the wrong things. You've been taught to put such emphasis on these tangible things. And fear has invaded every one of them. You know? Jesus just invites us to faith. It's a very simple invitation. And so we ask ourselves things like, am I on my own or is my father watching over me? When I start feeling like I'm on my own, that's when I start digging cisterns, you know, because it kind of has that feeling of like it's me against the world. What if everybody around me fails me? What if everything around me fails? I will not be caught unprepared, you know, that kind of thing. But when, when I'm like, oh wait, God's watching over me. What happens is those those cisterns I'm trying to dig, I bring them to him and I'm like, okay, I'm not on my own. You are watching over me. What do I do with this little bitty bank account? You know? What do I do with the fact that I, I got to choose between like getting groceries or putting tires in my car to get to work, like those kinds of things. What do I, what do, I do with the fact that um, like I'm, I got a, a raise, or I did really well in the stock market, or whatever it, you know, whatever. It may, bring whatever it is to him. What do I do? My citizenship. 
What do I do with an election that's so divisive and I just don't know, this is just driving me crazy. I'm not sure what to do here. What do, what, do I, what do I do with this or this or this or this? When I feel like it's me against the world, I'm digging cisterns. When I realize my father is watching over me, that this passage is like supposed to speak directly to the deepest parts of my soul, then I'm like, show me what heavenly wisdom looks like in my relationship to money or possessions or relationships or my country or the obedience that's before me that's, ca- that's calling me to risk something. To maybe not be as comfortable as I want to be. Two very different ways to live. Do I trust that the fountain of living water will always be the fountain of living water? Or is there a part of me that thinks like Adam and Eve thought? He's not quite who he said he is kind of holding out or it makes me mad when he blesses other people and doesn't bless me from my perspective or whatever it may be. And so it does come down to do I trust him or do I not trust him? That's something in the last several years for me personally that like that has been a phrase that I've, I've like at a, at a point of, 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 faith or no faith, like a fork in the road kind of thing. I'm like, how am I going to handle this? The question I have asked myself is, just, well, well, it's not really even a question. It's just a statement. I either trust him or I don't. And that is going to determine which path I go down. I either trust him or I don't. Now for me, one of my like natural default spiritual gifts is faith. And so when someone with that particular spiritual gift strength is confronted with the question, I either trust him or I don't, or the statement, I trust him or I don't, it, it doesn't take me long to get there. And so it could be that, that I maybe get there faster than someone else does. Um, it doesn't make it easier, though. That even for people with the spiritual gift of faith, it's still, it's still hard, you know. And so Jesus is just like saying, hey, here's how you think the world works. Let me. But what I tell you is this. He's inviting us into a new way over and over and over again. Let me put it a little bit differently. Let me read to you Hebrews 11. This is 24 through 26. This is the hall of faith. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He, was cons- he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. Okay, Now, you might know the Moses story um, where he was... Uh, Pharaoh was killing all the babies, all the boys, and so his mom put him in a basket, floated him down the river. Pharaoh's daughter found him, took him in. So he he grew up in Pharaoh's house, like he was one of one of the family. And there comes a time where he made a choice to walk away from that and to be with the people of God, to be with the Hebrews. He made a choice, said, "It doesn't matter what it costs me; that's who I am." 
And he made that choice not necessarily based on logic or uh, the news reports that were coming out or whatever political party was saying what and that kind of stuff. It says that he made that decision by faith. Like he trusted the Lord in that decision. It says in verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. So approach, uh, reproach, means disgrace or any sort of uh, suffering by association. Like he identified with the Hebrews whose faith was in the Messiah. And so in the New Testament version, it's the reproach of Christ. In other words, he says, whatever it costs me to be who I am is of greater wealth than anything that Pharaoh's house could offer me. Life in Pharaoh's house, pretty good. And so he had a choice to make. It's not that he said, I'm going to do the right thing. He said, I'm going to do the more valuable thing. It's greater wealth to be who I am. And to go what is being offered to me. How do you how do you get there? You know? Like how do you how do you look at what's being offered to us by the world around us? And in particular the versions of that that are like being offered to us as Americans, how do you look at that and say, That's worth something, but my relationship to God, my obedience to God is just worth infinitely more. In other words, if you realize that you have some maybe unhealthy relationships to some things that you're finding security in, some cisterns, how do you how do you go from looking to them as a source to the fountain for the source? There's four words that stand out to me in that passage. I'll give them to you before I, as I close here. Four words are refuse, choose, consider, and look. It says in verse 24 that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Like, there are some things we're going to have to refuse and say no to. And it isn't like the things themselves. It's not that you can be like, I refuse money. I will not be paid for my labor. You know, that kind of thing. We, we have to refuse the lies that can come with that. We have to refuse to buy into some of what we have been conditioned to in terms of like a search for security. We, we have to say no to some things. And the second thing is that he chose something instead. And so those, those go together. You have to say no to the cistern and yes to the living water. We have to say no to unhealthy relationships to some of these things and yes to what heavenly wisdom looks like. Like those those have to fit together. And God's the one that, that shows each of us individually what that looks like because we're all in such really different situations. But none of us, I think, wants to like be a bad steward of what we've been entrusted to. None of us wants to worship uh, any of these kinds of things. So we have to refuse and then choose. And the fact that there's rhyme uh, would make my seminary professors very happy, uh, very much. The third word, it says that he considered. 
Like he considered their approach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, meaning that he weighed those things out. And so as we are counting the cost of our obedience, we have to count the cost of obeying and disobeying. You know? Sometimes the cost of obedience, it, it will lead you to uncomfortable places. It will lead you to sacrificial living. It will, it will lead you into some things that are going to feel like a threat to your future, your comfort, your whatever, however you want to think of it. We have to also weigh the weigh out the cost of disobedience, of telling God, I'm not going to do what you've asked me to do because I don't want to be without down the road, that kind of thing. The last thing, it says that he was looking to the reward. Like in that context, like he was literally looking to the promised future that God has. What that does is that reorders things for us. Like it reminds us this this life is not all that there is. And so like with a with a one hundred percent secure eternal future, you know what we can do now? We can risk. We we can be generous with our entire lives. Like every one of those things that I listed, it really like express ex, the expression in the New Testament is generosity. Generous with our money, generous with our relationships, generous with our possessions, generous with our citizenship. That when God is teaching us how to relate properly to those things, we end up giving it away. That's it, Jesus just flat out says it. Give your stuff away. This is not all that there is. Like there's a there's an eternity coming when you will have anything anything and everything that you'll ever need or want or desire. It's all fine. What are you going to do with now? So we can bury our heads in the sand and be fearful of what's coming, or we can say, "I just tr- I trust the Lord." And so he's entrusted to me these these list of things that can be cisterns or they can be ways that the living water uh, blesses me and helps me meet the needs of other people. I, I can just give myself away over and over and over again. So we refuse certain things. We make a choice. We consider and we weigh out all of our disobedience and obedience. And we, we look, we intentionally set our focus on the Lord and what he's called us to do. I'll read you one last passage as I close. This is the real closing. This is in Habakkuk. Um, and I feel like this, this is like such a summation of where I want to get to and where I want to stay and never leave ever. And... I bet you'll feel the same way. And uh, let's see what Habakkuk has to say. Verse 17 through 19, chapter 3. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, keyword, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. 
God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet feel like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. He describes what many of us, if you were to make a modern, your own list, let's list all the things that you're afraid of happening in the future. And, and if you know the story that's happening here, they're facing all of this. Like This is not like, hey, let's just do a writing exercise. This is happening. This is yet, I will rejoice. Life isn't about that. It's almost like he's heard the Sermon on the Mount already. You know. Notice that he says, verse 19, God the Lord is my strength. Like you can, you can just write a reverse of that in your prayers. Like if you, if you struggle with finances being a source of strength, then my finances are not my strength. If you struggle with your spouse or just the fact that you're married being your strength, remind yourself, my spouse is not my strength. The fact that I'm married is not my strength. If you struggle with not being married, the fact that I'm unmarried is not my strength. The hope of getting married is not my strength. Plug whatever you need to into that formula of what is not your strength and remind yourself what is your strength. And he, he says that weird thing. He makes my feet like the deers, which I feel like that would make like my high school English teacher's head hurt a little bit. <laughs> makes my feet like the deers. <laughs> yeah. But... I, when I was, I got to go to Israel. Uh, the church sent me on a trip to Israel several years ago, which is one of the best gifts I've ever had in my whole life. And um, we were in this really mountainous area, and there were these uh, these animals across this canyon that we could see, and they they looked like deer. We couldn't really tell, but in my mind, they were deer. And those little jokers were just like hopping all around. And if you've ever seen deer in the wild, like, and they're running or they're doing different things, like. It's amazing that they can do what they do, and their feet are so small. And they're not looking where they're going. They're not worried about stepping on rocks or doing different things. They're just being themselves. Why? Because they're just they're a sure-footed animal. And I feel like that's part of what Habakkuk is saying is like the Lord is my strength. He's going to send me through whatever terrain. He's going to throw whatever my way, and I'll be as sure-footed like a, like a deer. I don't have to worry about every little step and turning my ankle and this and this and this. I'm just going to go where I need to go. I need to do what God has called me to do because he's my strength. He's going to take care of me. So however this seeps into your life, whatever, however relevant it is right now, Maybe it's about now. Maybe it's about the near future. Maybe it's about the long-term future. Maybe this is one of those fears that is kind of running in the background all the time that we just need to invite the Lord into, to speak to it. But he has something to say. And so in the next few moments as we sing, you, you can sing. If that's what you need to do and sing your way through it, we'll sing songs that are related to this. Um, if you need to pray, you can pray where you are. You can come kneel down here and pray. If you need to sit down and kind of write some things, if you just have time with the Lord. The reason why we do this is because when it's like when we dismiss, you're, you shift gears. I mean, me too. We all shift gears into what's next. And uh, 
So we just want to maximize this time while we're focused and together. Uh, so let's stand as our musicians come back up, and I want to pray for us. We'll spend a few minutes singing, or you just responding however you need to, and we'll bless each other as we go. Father, I'm so thankful. Um, thankful for all the scriptures, but to think about Moses, who lived so long ago, and then Habakkuk, who lived so long ago, and then Jesus, who lived so long ago. And all the things that they're facing in those moments and how relevant that is to today. The reminders and assurances that we need about God's care for us and being our source of strength. I love it how relevant the scriptures are. That this These ancient documents fit into this moment so well. And certainly around the room and across the live stream, a lot of different situations going on. This applies so differently to all of us. And so would you help us to have the courage to ask you to speak to it? It could be that you speak words of encouragement and just affirm healthy relationships to these things. It could be that you offer some correction or some recalibration on some things. May we all be humble enough to receive that. So as we pray or sing or whatever it is we need to do in these closing moments, uh, would you help us to steward well the things you've brought to our attention uh, during our time this morning? We love you and we thank you. And we pray all this in your good and perfect name. Amen.